Curve Leadership. This is Coach and Kimberly. And we're bringing you Episode 8, Singing Leadership and Other Tricks for Winning Fans. Episode 8, we broke the seven-episode curse. It's very exciting. Yay! What's the seven-episode curse? Like most podcasts don't last seven episodes. Oh, well, boom. We are officially a successful podcast. Boom. Yeah. So it's just the two of us today, and we are going to share some stories with you from Ben's leadership as an internationally renowned computer instructor. What? What? Among other things. Um, among many. <laughs> he's internationally <laughs> renowned for lots of things, but mostly for computer training at this at this moment in his story. True. True. So as the wife of an internationally known computer trainer, there's this contingent of people who feel that Ben is very special and important. They mostly are from other countries. Well, <laughs> some, some in this country, here. though, too. <laughs> it's not, but I it's mean. most noticeable when people send fan mail to me on Facebook for being your wife. Or they, <laughs> yes, they write yes. funny things about our kid. And and once people try to send send you cloth and and fruit from Afghanistan, maybe Afghanistan, maybe <laughs> Pakistan. I don't remember exactly. The point is, Ben has some really really intense fans as a computer trainer, which is not a normal thing per se. Yeah, but I love them. People are not usually very excited about computer training class. Would you say? I would say, yeah, that's probably true. It's because computer training is boring. Yeah, Sorry, babe. It's you're pretty not boring. wrong. You know, it's like, ooh, ooh, guess what we're going to learn about servers today? Networks. It doesn't really just... Cloud storage. Yeah. IT. It doesn't really spark a lot of people. They're like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, computers, blah, blah. Their eyes kind of roll back in their head when I start talking about what I teach. Because... You know, it's not that exciting to most people. Right. And also, people who tend to be really good at computers are not necessarily, um, what, how do I want to say this? Uh, the, they're, <laughs> we're going to edit out a lot of ums of this section. Yeah. Um, well, they're introverts. They most tend to be introverted and, and they, they tend to not be known for their charisma. How's that? That's true. That's true. A lot of a lot of folks in the computer world are, yeah, you know, they, they're they're very introverted. A lot of people call them geeks and nerds, and they're not stereotypically what you would call people. People, not stereotypically. No, some of them people are person, but some of them are. And you are more of a people person than a computer person. That's the the dirty little secret of your computer training. Yeah, you actually like people more than computers. Yeah, computers are kind of my way to get to people, mm -hmm. really. Right. So, pretty frequently, Ben is the top-rated instructor in his company. And yeah. so, af after every class, people evaluate. Anyone who's teaching Microsoft classes evaluates their instructor in this particular kind of metric. And then they rank all the instructors. And Ben is usually pretty high on that list. Yeah. I'm telling you this because it's okay when I say it, and it's a little bit, like, questionable when he tells you that. <laughs> um, so we thought today we would talk about 
if Ben is not the the most knowledgeable computer guy, what makes him the the best or most highly rated instructor among his peers? And we want to talk about something. I think. <laughs> well, I think we want to talk about the difference that makes the difference in this because. There are a lot of instructors out there that are just as knowledgeable and probably more so than me in, in some areas. You know, it's not that I have a, uh, like a corner on the market of, of IT knowledge. I mean, there, there are, there's a ton of people out there who know a ton of stuff, but, but IT instructors are really hard to come by right. because they're, we just, there's just not very many of us to begin with. Right. I think the thing that sets you apart in your teaching is the attitude that you bring into your class. The kind of energy that you bring into your class is, is quite different than your peers. In fact, it even sometimes gets you in trouble. <laughs> yeah, it does. Like every about two or three times a year, someone writes letters to Ben's boss to say, computer class is supposed to be boring. Yeah, or he's some being, quote He's up. being flippant, or you shouldn't make jokes in class. Or he's not. <laughs> that's not professional to make jokes in class. It's, you're making it too fun. I've literally have had people say that I've made it too fun. <laughs> and I'm like, I don't really know how to respond to that. I mean, what do you say when you're like, okay, I'm sorry I'm making class good? Um, this is their picture of what makes a good computer class is not fun. It's It's dry and boring. Yeah. I mean, they think that computer training should be like watching paint dry. <laughs> oh, and that's and let me tell you, there's a there are plenty of instructors that will cater to that segment. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and I've sat some through some of their classes. Right. And I'm like, dude, and I mean, you don't have to be the most entertaining instructor to teach computers. When people go there, they go expecting to learn. They don't really go expecting to have fun. But it's a big perk. If but why you know, not have both? And you have fun and you learn things, right? Right, for sure. And so we got to talking about this and about some other things that, uh, that we've done and led in our, in our journey through life. Minor. Well, I mean, we've done a lot of stuff. We've done, we, I mean, we have run a publishing company. We, we have done a thing called Community Life, which we got all kinds of stories about that. Well, I'm sure we'll tell you about them later. Probably not this episode, but, but maybe. maybe, I don't know. You know, we, we've done a lot of work, work in, in church world. You know, we've, li- we've had a lot of things in, you know, inner city high school. And there's been so, we've seen so many successful stories come out of this. And so we started to think about, okay, well, what's the difference that makes the difference? Why, you know, why do we have people who are hearkening back 10 years and still sending us fan mail about right. things. I mean, you know, like how do you move beyond a satisfied customer or someone who thinks your team is fine? You know, it, it changes depending on what you're leading, but whether it's a customer or, or a teammate or people, um, even people that you work for, what, what moves someone beyond satisfied to like raving fan? Yeah. And as we talked about that, we we came up with a couple things, and they all have to do with decisions that you make as a leader before you ever walk into a room or or interact with your people. Mm -hmm. I think that's one of the biggest differences that our model 
of leadership addresses is that we start before everybody else starts and we end after everybody else ends, you know, because there's some things that we, that we do bring in with us. And those, these things are not just, it's not just magical fairy dust that was sprinkled upon you when you were born or anything like that. I mean, these are decisions that (laughs) as leaders we have to make every day. Well, I mean, some people think they're like, oh, well, I'm not so-and-so because so-and-so is so gifted and so-and-so, you know, oh, well, that coach, he's, you know, he used to do all of these other things. And of course, that's why he's good. And I can't do those things. Blah, blah, blah. Right. You weren't imbued with special powers. No. But you make specific choices in how you interact with people. Right. And that defines that. That's what what really pushes people over the edge where they become big fans of yours. And so one of those choices has to do with choosing an attitude of joy. And your, your grandma had a phrase for that. Yes. My grandmother who just recently turned 90, uh, selecting joy as an attitude. And that's, I think it's a big idea to select, right? You know, versus just kind of, flop into where that's so many that's the big difference where i see between leaders and not leaders is that leaders make deliberate selections about the conditions that they operate from and my grandmother had a lot of people think that this will be some people thought some people will think that this is trite some people think this is a cliche but it makes a huge difference and I'm not sure I've ever been around my grandmother for longer than 15 minutes before she says, you always have to keep a song in your heart. I think you should say it in your grandmother's voice. I don't know if I can. I don't Try. Know. Hmm. You know, you always have to keep a song in your heart. <laughs> nailed it. Did I nail it? Did I, I nail feel, it? I feel like you nailed all it. All right. All right. Yeah. It's in the inflection. Song in your heart. Song in your heart. <laughs> and <laughs> Ben's grandma is so awesome. I I feel like when I married into the Culbertson family, I I really lucked out because Ben's whole family is pretty amazing and his grandma is amazing. Yeah. I think with my with both my grandparents, there was this overarching selection, even though my grandparents and my whole extended family, I mean, they came out of some very difficult times. Right. It's not like they were handed a silver spoon or were, not by you know, inherited some great circumstances. As a matter of fact, they, inher- <laughs> they inherited a lot of lousy circumstances. Right. You know, they lived through the Great Depression. There was, you know, of course, the, you know, the, the changing, ever-changing economic reality in the small town that they grew up, that they raised their family in. But... Despite all of that, there was still this pervasive selection of joy that is summed up, I think, very nicely to the in the idea of keeping a song in your heart. Because we're not talking about keeping a bad song in your heart. I mean, we're talking about keeping an upbeat, happy song, right? Right. We were talking about this earlier, and I was saying, well, what it doesn't kind of depend on the song that's in your heart. Like, what if it's Mad Mad World? Yeah. Right. <laughs> There are some very dirty, sad songs that you could have in your heart. But I think inherent in the statement, you always have to have a song in your heart, 
there's like just in the inflection it, it's it's a good song that you're that you're singing right <laughs> metaphorically right. and there's something about that selection of joy that changes our energy it changes our attitude and it changes our actions right and it's not it's not pretending to be joyful so right. i think a lot of people when they're when they're in a position of leadership they try to pretend everything is great when it's not and people see through that it it rings inauthentic you know um but when you are actually singing a song in your head it you take on something from that song like if you have a song in your heart it comes out in your actions it comes out on in your facial expressions it comes out in the the energy that you bring to a conversation but and it's it's an authentic interaction it's choosing a perspective of joy which trips out a lot of people because they're because they're like why are you so upbeat all the time right and i've been asked that a lot a lot <laughs> uh over the years and you know i i hear that a lot in in people's voices as i as i talk to them literally around the world because i teach people around the world and they hear that in my voice and i can hear the change in their voice when they talk back to me right and that's one of the most amazing things is that people will mirror that song in your heart i mean it's there there's an infectious energy when you have that attitude of joy and that selection of joy that it doesn't it's, it's surprising it's surprising to them and it's always surprising to me because sometimes i get students on on the line and they sound kind of like eeyore <laughs> you know during their introductions and i'm like dude you know seriously whatever it is it can't be that bad you know but maybe it is i don't know maybe maybe they're having the worst week in the universe i mean right. and some of my students i'm sure are but by the end of the week there's a difference in their voice right and i think um I just I can't stress enough that it's it's not a naivete. It's not it's right. not a, a lack of acknowledgement of things that do suck that aren't that aren't fun. Um, I'm going to share this, and if you don't want me to, uh, you can, can edit, edit it, it out. out. Yeah, right. <laughs> but um, last fall, Ben actually had a heart attack. So when we talk about having a song in your heart, it gets a little bit literal. Right. Um, and it was. It was without question the scariest thing that I've experienced. Yeah, it's pretty bizarre. Um, it, was, it was surreal, and you know, there's an ambulance ride and all the things. Um, and then they took him into heart surgery, and they put him under like that twilight anesthetic, so you're awake but you don't remember it essentially. But Ben sang through the whole surgery, and after that, all of his nurses and doctors said. He was. They dubbed him the happiest heart attack patient ever. <laughs> it's not that he was happy he had a heart attack. It was scary, and we had real conversations about what just happened and and what does this mean for us. And now we have to scale back on the torches queso, and that is sad. That is sad. That's the you know, worst. There was thing no song in Ben's this. heart when we looked up the sodium in torches queso. <laughs> Dude, really. It's like 1,700 milligrams or something like that in one serving of torches queso. It's like 4,000, but I like Is it 4,000? You're editing it down. All right. Yeah, it's my good. optimistic <laughs> song in my heart. Song in my heart. You're supposed to be showing truthful song in yeah. your example. Well, you know. Yeah, it's like 4,000 milligrams of sodium 
including the chips for a torchies queso. Yeah. Hopefully you're sharing it. <laughs> I don't know. I figure out I can have exactly four chips dipped <laughs> in queso. I can still have it. He counts them out and then he savors every bite. Every bite. And then there's like little tears of joy in his eyes. <laughs> it's amazing. She's not wrong. <laughs> I wish I wish I was exaggerating a little bit, actually. But <laughs> it's a whole thing here in Austin. Um so yeah, what what we want to get across here is when you choose to have a song in your heart, to quote Grandma Culbertson, or when you, you decide to bring joy into the situation, people start to mirror that. And when, when you are glad to be there with them, they are glad to be there with you. Yeah. And when people are glad to be there, then they want to come back and they want you as their computer instructor or you as their boss or you as their speaker or whatever the thing is that mm-hmm. you're leading today. So we're going to move on to another secret. And that is to decide that the people you're working with are important. So talk, talk to me a little bit about how this plays out in your classes, Ben. Golly, in my classes, IT people are the, the lifeblood of any, any given organization. And so many, so many IT people don't feel that important. As a matter of fact, they're only really visible when something is broken, and when something is broken, you realize how important they are. Yeah. You go ahead and let your email server goes down, go down for about five minutes. We'll see how important your IT staff is, you know? <laughs> and so because they're kind of treated as this kind of, I don't know, in certain shops, sometimes they're considered to be second-class citizens, you know? And I'm invisible. Kind of like the, the data janitors of, yeah. the, of the culture. Mm-hmm. And let me tell you, um, I used to work at a school. And whenever I would talk to new teachers, I would say, make friends with the janitors. Treat them so nicely because they will help you when you need help. And if you don't, when you need help, you will not get any help. Right. <laughs> Be nice to the janitors. And, and that's true for IT people, too. When you're not in crisis, make the IT person your best friend. <laughs> it's yeah. very, very good. Yeah. And, and, you know, they're valid as people and deserve to be treated as human beings. But also it's useful <laughs> when you have a crisis. Yeah. I think that in within the IT sphere, because so many IT people are are kind of in, in that invisible space, to have somebody who's invested in their success, who is their greatest fan, and that's going in, I think, a, a selection to be made is to decide that these people who are in front of me, whether they're in front of me in a live classroom or around the world around microphones, are very important people. These are the VIPs. These are um, these people are critical. But selecting <laughs> the decision that these people are important, I think it shifts my attitude and my actions all the way throughout class. Right. There is a a definitive way that when you're interacting with someone who you feel is important, there is a way that that comes out in your every action. Yeah. What I think about is um, when you go into a store and you have, you have an experience when you walk in the door. And it might be that as soon as you walk in the door, someone greets you, someone walks over, asks how your day is going, what can I help you with, blah, blah, blah. Um, we are in the middle of South by Southwest in Austin right now. Mm. And President Obama went to Torchies. Apparently this episode is very Torchies themed. <laughs> but on his way to his keynote address at South by Southwest 
he stopped in and got tacos at Torchy's. Because what and else so, you going to do? Of course. When you're in Austin. Because the queso. Because. Maybe yes. he was low on sodium. <laughs> needed a boost. Anyway, um, we love Torchy's. And so there's pictures of President Obama at Torchy's, which is exciting. Yay for small businesses and whatnot. And all of the people are standing up straight. All of the people are looking at the president. The staff is, you, you can see they're excited to serve right. this man tacos because he's the president of the United States, no matter what you think of him. You know, like, it's still kind of a big deal. He's still the leader of the free yeah. world. And so um, then contrast that, maybe, when you walk into a store and there's a person at a desk and they don't get up and they don't really acknowledge you and they're, like, maybe talking on their phone or they're texting, so they... Like, kind of look up, but then they just go back to their thing. <laughs> when you ask them for help, they're like, yeah, it's over there somewhere. You know, you're not very important to them. The way that they treat you is like, you're kind of a nuisance. Like, I don't, I don't really feel like dealing with you. There's a, a definite energy that you bring to something when you're interacting with the person that you think is important. And the point that, that we want to bring, the secret to a leadership that leads you to have a fan club of fan mail from other countries is that you can choose whether the person in front of you is important. Right. Like they don't have to be the president of the United States to be important. You know, the homeless person from outside could come in and ask for water and you could actually choose that this is a very important person that's standing in front of me and the way you treat them is going to change and the way that they feel after your interaction is going to change. I wonder what it would what it would what would it look like if we did start treating the people who were in front of us like they were the president at Torchies. You know, what would it look like if we did actually start treating all of our customers and our coworkers with that same kind of gusto and that same kind of energy? What kind what kind of culture would that create in our companies? What would that look like? Would right. all, all of a sudden, would would it be a more interesting place to work? I think so. Would people be more excited to come to work or to come to class or to listen to your talk or whatever the case may be? Yeah. You know, whatever it is that you're leading, when the people that you are leading feel respected and they feel important, they're going to want to be around you more. Right. And when you don't feel respected and when you don't feel important, that comes through just as loud and clear. Maybe even more so. I yeah. mean, like, it, when, you go, when you go into a situation where you realize, I don't matter here, it's pretty instantaneous. You're not going to write letters about that person. You're not right. like, thank you for allowing me to stay even though I don't matter. I'm so grateful yeah. for your leadership, you know. <laughs> like, well, you know what? We've experienced that lately because we we've been looking at apartments. Right. right, we're looking at shifting where we live at, and looking at you know school districts and all this other stuff, right? And when we would walk into certain apartment complexes, you could tell we felt important in some of these spaces, in some of these places, and other places we did not feel important. Let's just say that, right? I mean, right, you we know. were definitely an interruption. There was actually one apartment that. Ben liked a lot, but I I was really unimpressed with the leasing agent, and it was pretty hard for me to get past it. Yeah, it's really hard. <laughs> I was like, eh, we didn't, I don't like we her. She didn't care one, about us. 
you know, like if, if she doesn't care about us when she's trying to sell it to us, what are the chances she's going to care about us when we live there and we've already purchased it? You right. Know? Um, yeah, I don't know. It matters. It matters to me. Ben could get past it because he liked certain things about it. And I was like, man, that girl, that girl did not care. <laughs> and you're right. And, and, you know, it was very clear that we were we were an interruption to whatever she was doing versus. I don't know. I mean, do you want to sell apartments or not? You know, and obviously she did not. It's very clear. <laughs> it's just your job to sell us an apartment, but don't worry about it. Definitely it's keep, okay. it's keep right. playing that game on your phone. Yeah. All right. So, so far, we have talked about two secrets that will gain you fans, raving fans. One is deciding on joy, bringing a joyful attitude into the things that you're doing. The second one was deciding the person in front of you is important. And letting that shape your interaction with them. And the last thing that we want to talk about is deciding to be invested in your people's success. To be, um, the phrase is like, I'm, I'm for you. Do your people that you're leading believe that you are for them? That you want them to succeed? That you care about their dreams and goals? Um, and I, I think I've experienced both of these things in a number of different capacities. Sometimes we are on a team being led by a person who does not care at all mm. about us. We're there for them. They're not there for us. You know, it's our job to, like, carry out their mission as minions and to not shine too brightly because that would take away from their notoriety. You know, we've, we've definitely all had a manager or a leader or a colleague who is not for us, right? Yeah. So what does it look like? to be for the people you're leading then and that golly i think that's that makes a critical difference in in whether or not people feel valued but i think that i think you can i think you can feel that people are important but they're important to you because they are minions you know you're such a good helper to me. Oh, thank you. You're such an asset to our company, you know. And of course, the, uh, every time I hear the word asset, I'm like, I'm not a thing, <laughs> you, know? I'm, you know. That's a that's a different podcast, babe. That's a different podcast. <laughs> I know, but still, it's one of those things that just gets me when I hear, "Oh, you're such an asset." I'm like, no, I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> no, that would be incorrect. Um, I used to play a role where inevitably someone would introduce me and say, here's Kimberly. She keeps me sane. Like, that was my job. I keep that person Sanity sane. Sanity keeper. You know? Um, like, she's really helpful to, to this person. I, I would always think, I do things. I contribute actual tasks. <laughs> you know, like, that, that actual I... Actual value? What? <laughs> what is that introduction? And, and then, you know, what do you say about that? You can't go and be like, could you please stop making it sound like I'm your personal therapist. I'm not a therapist <laughs> sometimes a little bit, but <laughs> you know, like there was nothing about my dreams or goals or even contribution that was ever mentioned in my introduction. Yeah. When you're actually invested in somebody's success, I mean, that looks very different than a commander of minions, you know, and I think that I think somewhere along the line, it's been embedded in certain managerial cultures where it is about 
creating a machine of cogs mm-hmm. and the, you instruct the cogs to, to carry out your wishes. Right. We call that casting vision. Casting vision. Oh, is that what we call it? Yeah. Mm. It's the vision. If you're a visionary, you vision cast and then people are so excited to do your bidding that they go do it and then you get all the credit. Yay. Oh, is that how that works? Yeah. Instead, what's it look like if we were as leaders able to release the power of our people in their own unique giftings, in their own unique ways? What if we turned them into rock stars? What if it was all about moving them into the spotlight and pushing out their value? Wouldn't that, I I feel like when that happens, when I've I've seen this happen in, in shops where when we have somebody who's pushing us out and pushing us into the spotlight, then that there's, there's a reciprocal action that happens in the people that those people are serving. So if you are not the front line, if you're a back end or back of the house manager and you are managing people out on the front line, those people are going to become more invested in the people that are directly in front of them. You know, and it's this weird domino effect that if this is the attitude that you select, where you're going to be invested in releasing the power and the talents of the people who are directly in front of you, they're going to in turn release the power and the talents of the people who are directly in front of them. And it's this, it is a cascade. And that, that makes a huge shift in culture. And I've seen it happen. I've seen it happen in a classroom. I've seen it happen in a corporation. And I've also seen the opposite, you know, where we're like, okay, let's build, let's build the army. Build the army of minions, you know, and those people. Yeah, and you can't yeah. take time to figure out what people want and need and are good at because your job is to cast the vision and then have people do that thing. Right. You don't care what they're good at or what they're dreaming about. That's not time that's useful to you. If, if you can't see the investment in knowing your people and being for them, then you're not going to do it. Right. Um, and people know when they're just a cog in the wheel. And that doesn't inspire loyalty or passion or even, you know, giving your 100%. Um, I was reading recently, I can't think of where, but. I'm sure it was on Facebook, and so that makes it true. But <laughs> this one article was talking about how people, when you ask people about how much percent do you think you give at work, the average percentage was about 30%, which is horrible, right? And it's a wonder that anything works at all. <laughs> and then if you, if you follow up and you ask people, why don't you give 100%, one of the number one reasons was, my contribution, my 100% is not wanted. Like, mm. uh, there's not a space for me to really use my best gifting. I just do what I'm told. You know, like, if all you do is do what you told, what you're told, you're not using 100% of your, you know, you're not using your ideation. You're not using your, your creativity, your creativity, your people skills, your innovation, your problem solving. You're not coming to the table as as a true player of the game that you're right. in, you are carrying out tasks. You're a robot that's breathing, you know? Yeah. I mean, cause um, and eventually jobs like that and positions like that will eventually be scripted. 
you know, they'll be scripted out and p- performed by some kind actual of robots, by an actual <laughs> robot or software. So leaders out there, you should probably start caring about your people. <laughs> right. Because robots make fine minions, but they make lousy conversationalists. <laughs> Just saying, you Just know, saying. I know a lot of people think, oh, but what about that? Was that movie her? You know, or is an operating system where ascension? I don't know. You have derailed. Thing. You didn't even watch that movie. You're right. I didn't. <laughs> but anyway, so <laughs> moving along. This is the part of the podcast where Ben talks about movies he hasn't seen. <laughs> movies makes, I haven't seen. Makes like wandering. Generaliza- generalized comments. Devolves yeah. into Niners. Niners. From a walkie-talkie. Yes. Walkie-talkie. That's a so, boy reference for all you youngins out there. So, our the three secrets, you know, and to, for some for, for some folks, this is a very natural. These are natural things to do, and for other folks, uh, for some of you, you're listening to this for the first time. You're like, wait a minute, you mean there's another way to do it? And for for some folks, some of these ideas are are disruptive, because what we have been taught by these schools of management is to build your army of evil minions and, you know, and, and carry it out. And th- these are very different ideas to be releasers of, uh, of power and gifting. That's a different idea. Right. Like we're not oftentimes we are not told as leaders to be joyful. We're told to be harsh and scary, right. and intimidating. And we're not told that the people that are working for us are important. We're told, you are important. You have this position. You are important. They should be glad that you're they're getting to work for you. And we're not told um, to be invested in people. We're told to be efficient with our time and have one minute conversations and you know like use the people beneath you to accomplish your goal. Yeah, I those was, are the typical leadership things. Yeah, I was in a position where I had a new manager come in, and I had a meeting because I didn't like. The, the harshness that this manager was bringing to the team. And, you know, this manager sat there and said, listen, you're not always going to like me and I don't care because, you know, you have to do what I tell you to do. And I didn't And then last. you became a raving fan of that guy. Oh, I was a total raving fan of that guy. Yeah, About absolutely. how awesome he was. <laughs> yeah, actually, I was fired like a week later. Um, yeah. Well, that's but a whole different because thing. of your response to the guy. Yeah, yeah, that's true. <laughs> what did you tell him? Didn't you say like, Oh, that's not going to work here or something like right, that. That wasn't going to work here. And it didn't. It didn't because he got <laughs> fired. Like it took them a year to figure that out, mm-hmm. that he was a terrible leader. And, I, I, you know, I was like, I knew this going. I knew this going. I knew that it wasn't going to work, you know, but oh, hey, you know, and they had it. They had to take a whole year of, of dumbness for them to figure it out. And there was a whole year where they basically ran a whole bunch of people off, and it was just not a good, not a good place to be at, at the, during that time. I guess I don't really know because I wasn't there. <laughs> I went on and made a bunch of money. You're so. off to much better places yeah. where people treated people with respect, right? At least some of the time. Yeah, well, most of the time, I would <laughs> most say. Of the time. So. But so those are the secrets. That's why people in Afghanistan try to send us dried fruit and cloth and cloth. <laughs> Bless and their also hearts. I love beautifully my written. Translated messages of hope. Um, they do. You told it's me crazy. recently 
tell me one you had someone write you and they wrote you just about how you have changed their life how somehow in a video training you were able to be for them to the extent that their life changed can you talk about that oh golly there's been a lot actually we'll just pick one okay so yeah let's tell a story of ali real fast i mean ali uh, was a student of mine, very vocal student of mine. Uh, and even though he was not my, he was not the, the one person I thought of when I was producing the videos, with these videos, I had certain intentions, you know, that followed through in, my, in the video and the actions that I would, that I would take when I was recording these videos. And they still, I was still very much, a fan of Ali's. I was still very much invested in Ali's success when I was producing these videos. And even though Ali had never seen, hadn't seen the video yet when I was producing it, that effect still uh, happened for him. He still was able to receive that benefit, you know? And that's, I think kind of a, a crazy thing to think about, but. Right. These were like, um, there's a season that Ben did, 20 and 30 hour videos on this high level uh, nerdy stuff that I don't know how to explain. It's IT. <laughs> high Windows level server. IT server networking niner stuff. And um, he would talk to me about it. And I mean, it, it was like a 20 hour course, but it took months and months to create. He was working in the same material and, and he would talk to me about, I want someone to get this course and have have what they learn over their time with me to to bring them opportunity, right? Like Ben never wants to just do something for the sake of doing it. You know, he's not that excited about computers, <laughs> and so um, he's always got someone in mind that that is going to have an opportunity from the from this interaction that they didn't have before it, and that comes out in the way that he teaches it. And so it's fun to get these random letters on Facebook um, that where people are talking about how their life has changed since they've taken his course. They've been able to get certified, and that allowed them to get this job, and that allowed them to move to this city and do this right. thing. And yeah, Even, though, we've never, even we, though I've never actually met these folks face-to-face -face or talked to them on the phone or anything, it's still they still feel that coming through the video, and that's what's exciting. Right. They feel like there's this instructor – who cares? In America, who somehow cares about them and who is for them, and it comes through. Like, if you really decide these things in your own person before you walk in the door into whatever leadership interaction that you are about to have, then your actions cannot help but reflect the decision you've already made. Right. That you've decided to bring joy into the interaction You've decided that this person you're interacting with matters and is important, and you've decided that you're for them and you want to you want them to be successful. People respond really well to that, and that's how you gain a raving fan. True, true. Now, I don't want anyone going back and saying, "Well, I'm not an instructor. I'm not this. I'm not that." Listen, these are principles that can be expressed and practiced, no matter what job you're doing. You know, everybody serves somebody some way, somehow. And you choose, in any task that you do, you choose how you set your intentions. You, right. you choose 
your attitude. You choose your mindset. Mm -hmm. And that's a lot of what we talk about with Creation Curve Leadership. Right. That is a big part of the whole point of the podcast, of all the episodes. But, like, we have choice in what we bring into our interactions. Mm -hmm. And what we select, it doesn't matter whether you are sweeping a floor or, or rebooting a server or serving up tacos. These, these selections start way before you walk in the door, way before you walk in the door. And I would you know, just like to, like to challenge you right now to start thinking about, okay, are these part of the selections you're making? Did you make those today? Did you, you know, how, how well did you treat your colleagues? How well did you treat your customers? And you might have tra- treated them okay, but did you treat them like they were kings and queens? <laughs> Kim did not like that. Well, I mean, I don't know. I guess when I think of like how you would treat kings and queens, it, you could interpret that as being sycophantic, which I don't think is the goal. Um, sycophantic is, for some reason, one of my favorite words, but it means like to get all like fangirlish and like right. um, treat them as if they're, you know, you idolize them. You don't. I don't think you have to idolize people to treat them as if they're important and. That's I think there's a certain point queens. of vitalization that you stop treating them as people altogether. Right. There's the yeah. object of your worship. Yeah. Anyway, anyway, we can edit that whole part out. Yeah. So there you have it, my friends. Episode number eight, singing leadership and other tricks to win raving fans. That's the end. And that's the end. It's been fun. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. See you next time.